Welcome to Innovate at Open, the podcast that explores open source through the lenses of distributed collaboration, collective invention, and technology creation. I'm your host, Gordon Half, technology evangelist with Red Hat. Hi, I'm Gordon Half, technology evangelist with Red Hat, and we're here for another edition of the Innovate at Open podcast. And I've got not one, but two great guests on here from Mux. So, Steve and Matt, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Matt McClure. I'm one of the co-founders of Mux. I run developer experience here, um, but I started the, relevant to this conversation specifically, I started the DMUX conference uh, back in 2015 out of the SF video technology community that started in 2012. But yeah, that, that's me. And yeah, I'm Steve Heffernan, one of uh, Matt's co-founders at Mux. And prior to Mux, uh, let's see, I uh, was one of the co-founders of Zencoder, video transcoding uh, startup and um, creator of VideoJS, the open source video player. Let's start by just talking a little bit about Mux for our listeners who may not be familiar with the company. Uh, yeah, great. So, um, <clears throat> so at Mux, we we build video technology for developers, uh, trying to make this uh, really hard problem of video streaming uh, easier for people who are just trying to add uh, video to their applications or build video services. Uh, and we have we have a handful of of tools and services that help you do that, from uh, video streaming API to analytics that help you monitor uh, how well you're streaming the video. And yeah, we've been around since uh, 2016 now. Who are the typical customers for what you make? Our, our primary customers, engineers, developers who are working on some some degree of video technology, and this can range from developers who are who have no idea what what video technology uh, is, how it works, um, to engineers that are are streaming the Super Bowl and using our, analytic, our analytics to um, see how well they're doing that. And so, wide range of of skill sets there, but uh, usually developers who are working on video. So, so how did you kind of get into this space in the first place? So I, I was, I was working. So I had a, a video, no, sorry, not a video, a, um, a, a web development uh, shop where we were, we were building web applications for other other companies. And this was this is back in two thousand seven, two thousand eight timeframe. Um, and uh, this is early early video on the internet. Like YouTube was still brand new. Um, and uh, we we just had a number of uh, a number of customers who needed to do something with video, and uh, uh, and this was this ranged from figuring out the uh, playback side of things, which was like HTML5 video was brand new at the time, uh, as well as um, uh, scaling transcoding was a big challenge then. So putting FFmpeg on a server, understanding how to scale it with um, all of the different people who were trying to upload video. Um, and, and yeah, that was, it was, it was an exciting time to be in video cause it was new and there's also tons of challenges then. Yeah. I think for, for me, it was probably 2011 is when we started the project. Really it was my first like real foray into video, you know, foray I'd worked at a web consultancy as well. And so we'd done a few, few projects that nibbled around the edges, but then one of our other, other co-founders and I, Adam were working at an AV shop in Athens, Georgia. Uh, and we ended up working on a learning management system uh, for 
universities that included like a live streaming video component for professors to be able to rate. Um, I think it was like for professors to be able to watch exam surgeries. So we would like live stream the surgery and then do stuff on it. So anyway, so that kicked me off with looking, looking around what the infrastructure that was out there. And that's how I found Zencoder and VideoJS. And we ended up using VideoJS, but we couldn't use Zencoder because we needed everything to kind of be in house. But uh, that at least was my, my, how I found, how I found um, Steve and John um, and that crew. So given the topic of my podcast, I'm going to get to open source soon, I promise you. <laughs> but, uh, since we're, you know, we're t- I'm talking to two video experts. I think it, our listeners might be kind of interested in hearing what are some of the real challenges in this space that might not seem obvious. I would say, I mean, it's just like the sheer depth of knowledge required to really do it well. Like, so when you're... When you when you think about abstraction layers across a lot of things online, like the abstraction layers for HTTP, for example, like you can you can build a web app pretty reasonably well with only a pretty like, basic understanding of how HTTP fundamentally works, right? I don't think that's necessarily as true with video. Steve, I'd be interested. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but like. The, just the depth to do video well, especially modern video. Back in 2010, 2011, you, you know, created the three versions of a video that you needed for the three major browser browsers, like H- MP4, uh, WebM at the time, PP6 back then, and what was the third? Anyway, anyway. Uh, really, you just had like three static renditions of this video that you would put online for those three browsers, and then you, you were kind of done. And now that world has gotten so much more complicated. There's multiple adaptive bitrate streaming algorithms. You have to know what adaptive bitrate streaming is. Uh, then now you're you're down this rabbit hole of, of codecs and bitrates and encoding profiles. And that's before you even start thinking about like, how do I scale this thing? And uh, how do I distribute it across CDNs? And what players is it going to work on? And so when you really like, if you really want to build a great video experience, suddenly your your depth of knowledge like before you've even really shipped anything suddenly has to be huge um and so you kind of have to immediately become an expert before you can start you know being a toddler in in the space i I don't know what do you think steve yeah uh we've started to refer to video as sneaky hard in some way now like if you look at um uh, you know, you look at like, Twilio and Stripe as far as like other other services that are solving a, a complex problem while you're building an application. Like I look at text messages and I honestly, I wouldn't know where to start as far as how to send a text, mes- text message without Twilio. And same with on the payment side of things. I really wouldn't know where to start without, without Stripe today. Um, whereas with video, I can record a video on my phone. I can download the MP4, upload it to storage and play it back in a browser in a video tag you know, relatively easily. And, it, you know, from there, it looks like it works, right? So, like, it should be easy enough just to go from there. But as soon as you hit the, like, I'm trying to support multiple browsers and devices, I'm trying to support different network connections, it just explodes in complexity and all the technologies start to come into play. And so this thing that felt easy to get started with becomes hard very quickly. And it seems that performance is such an issue with video compared to almost anything else that a consumer 
uh, deals with. And, you know, again, people become very familiar with this uh, problem over the last year. But also, even if you just do video editing, I, I have a fairly old uh, desktop computer, but it's just fine for everything except for Final Cut Pro X, uh, which takes a long time to do things. Yeah, I mean, video is, is just a, you know, it's a heavy data format to begin with, right? Like, so like everything that you're trying to do with it just takes so much more processing, so much more bandwidth. And so I think, um, what is it? We have some stats and I'm going to get these wrong, but like you know, video is, is the number one use of bandwidth today. It's, it's one of the top five uses of compute. Uh, and you know, it's just, it's just, it's not, I don't think it's that like people are sending more video than images. It's just that video is, is, is so many times heavier than an image or a text message or text or anything else that you're trying to do on the web. Yeah. Because of that, like statistically speaking, we have jokes about how everybody's really a video company. Like Dropbox is really a storage and streaming service, statistically speaking, by compute and bandwidth. And AWS, like EC2, is almost certainly a video transcoding farm by, uh, statistically speaking, um, just because it is so compute heavy, it takes so much to do it. So so let's get to open source. One of the things that kind of struck me looking over, you know, over your site is how much on there was really very much focused on developer community and the meetups you mentioned, because something that, that, Strikes me, strikes me often in this podcast is talking to companies that have come out with some piece of open source code. They've decided to open source some part of their code infrastructure. But often community and developer relations and things like that seem to be, well, people will come to our site and work on this and everything. But you, you folks seem to have given a lot of upfront thought to this. A lot of what Mux is, is was born out of uh, the video technology community that, that Matt has essentially like spearheaded uh, over the last number of years. Um, so we, I think, yeah, 2012, 2013, uh, kicked off the first San Francisco video technology meetup. And uh, this is just a chance for people in, in San Francisco who are working on video to come together and talk about the, the challenges that they were running into. And, and it was great because it was San Francisco, you know, we had, we had people from from YouTube and Netflix and Vimeo and 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 then hundreds of other companies uh, working with video show up and, and talk about the hard problems they were solving, but then also talk about the innovative things that they were doing. And uh, and so this this meetup uh, was and continues to be amazing. And um, and then over a year to two years, I guess um, we it grew into basically people at the meetup decided they wanted a conference out of it. So it's like a full day, like chance to talk about the, uh, the similar type of sessions that were being uh, talked about at the meetup. Uh, and that turned into Demux, which is, which is the conference that actually uh, Matt, Matt is often quick to, to point out that Demux came before, <laughs> before Mux, because you might not think that, but like uh, the community conference came, came about a year before, before the company Mux. And so uh, it's just been incredible to see how that's grown. So I'll give it to Matt to actually <laughs> hopefully I didn't steal your thunder there. Oh, no. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, at this point, the, the community, like the, the video tech meetups, 
they're all independently run, but at this point, uh, I think in large part to to Demux and SFIDO and, and us being able to get together and talk about all these things uh, at least once a year, but whatever, however else often people are able to come see one of these other meetups. Now there's, I think, 27 meetups across 19 different countries that are all independently run. And it's, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it informed, I think uh, that community has informed our products uh, and impacted us personally in huge ways, just because I think that's why we started with data, for example. I think we were like, we were a part of this community. We were watching, you know, these these engineers at, at some of the best companies in the world at delivering video. And, and a really common trend early like that we noticed was a separator was kind of that that I won't name names, but the the uh, those kind of engineers at the best of the best use data for everything. They didn't change uh, they didn't change a button without without uh, running that by like quality of service analytics on their on their across their services. So. Um, that's why we actually start. We were like, well, long term, we want to build best in class video infrastructure. Um, so we should start with data um, because clearly that's a differentiator for for these other folks. And we can um, put that in the world and um, you know help people improve their video that way. And then long term, as we release it, we'll have that product that we can also use to make ourselves better. But yeah, I think that the, that meetup and that community has a huge impact on us. Video is really, really hard. The barrier to entry is massive. Um, the resources for learning this stuff are historically dry and really unapproachable uh, and it can be really hard just to like get your foot in the door especially if you're an engineer with any background uh isn't that isn't specifically video is still difficult to to necessarily kind of really get your head around the the depth of this space so a big part of starting it at least the meetup for me personally was being hungry for that community and, and learning this stuff and so there's a big piece of this where it's how can we help community? How can we help this community grow? How can we help developers feel comfortable entering the space? And I, you know, hopefully that's that's helping everybody, not not any just any one specific company. How have you sort of maintained that through the last you know, eighteen months or whatever? Because I think a lot of companies, in some ways, they've seen their reach increase, but it's harder to to really do that kind of hands on mentoring, the hands on sort of experience. In some ways, I would say it's actually gotten better. Uh, oddly enough, I think uh, you know the the conference has historically been this amazing opportunity for. For developers all across the world to get together i think we in 2015 at our first conference we had maybe like a hair over 100 people uh and at the 2019 which is the last in-person event i think we had a little over 800 um and then at the online event last year i think we had like 1100 11 1100 something like that so historically that's been a great opportunity for developers all around the world to kind of have that one like flag in the sand let's all let's all get together in san francisco and, and chat or around this event and the nice thing has been with being online one like blessing has just been these meetups have been able to be completely global like we have folks from australia join the san francisco meetup speakers from london and barcelona have spoken in san francisco and new york have spoken in seattle and just the the inner like the the cross-pollination between the community meetups and each other has blown up that one one person even specifically has run a couple of global video tech meetups at this point and given the you know the global footprint uh he was able to get all of the meetup organizers from around the world to host a meetup 
for an hour during their time zone to create a 24 hour video meetup that just kind of ran from seven to seven. Um, and that's the kind of thing that I don't think ever would have happened in 2019. Um, so, you know, for all of the negative parts of the last year, I think actually expanding that way of getting people together and talking and cross pollinating ideas and, um, relationships, I think that's actually been a huge benefit. Um, yeah, that's a pretty common theme I hear across tech companies. You know, it, it, you can't really replicate the hallway track and the sort of informal social interactions all that well. And that's, you know, that's obviously not good. However, on the other hand, you're able to accommodate people who, you know, maybe get to go to one tech conference a year, if that. And suddenly they can be participating in these events that are really eye-opening for them and which they would never have had an opportunity to do normally. So, I mean, what I hear from everyone, including uh, you know, Red Hat, who I work for, is that, you know, yes, we really want to get back to in-person, but we want to maintain the part of, uh, you know, the hybrid aspect to serve all of these people who normally wouldn't have a chance to attend at all. Um, one uh, just other thing in terms of community, uh, you announced something called the Mux Contributor Program, I think, towards the end of 2019. Can you talk a little bit about that? That's an opportunity for us to try and grow our open source community in particular. Um, and there's some like seeding, seeding those projects there. It's like, we at the time we were pretty nascent in a lot of our open source uh work so a lot of it was anything from like examples to some of our sdks and this was a way for us to if you if you did get in there and made a pr to fix some documentation or update that thing that we missed in some example you know version pump or whatever else we wanted people to to be rewarded for that work and and to feel like we appreciated it. Uh, so that was the, that was the initial push. There it was just like a lot of these are pretty muck specific um, repos, and so when people did contribute to them, it was a huge help for us. And so like just straight up acknowledging that and and making making folks feel rewarded and 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 that we were genuinely thankful because we are um and now i think that's actually grown to we have we have kind of open source projects that are more directly community facing that aren't specific to us um and so now that project now that program has grown to just like how can we seed that community a little bit more um and get people get people engaged and involved and it's some of those things are you know again much less muck specific uh and something that's more interesting to anybody working with video. So it's not just like an SDK for using our API or an example for using our API. Now it can be things like uh, UI elements for video players that you know you you can or cannot use us with those things. So like, how can we get people excited and engaged and 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 um, you know want to come like contribute to that project a little bit more? So maybe to bring this home, since kind of talking about the scope of your open source projects and, you know, kind of your business a little bit. Let's talk about business models for your company and how you think about them, how you think about the relationship between open source and your uh, other types of commercial offerings. 
we probably have a maybe this is not unique as far as our, our our stance in open source, but we, for one, we we look for opportunities to open source things that are either you know not directly related to our our core business, so we're helping the the broader community with problems that we've solved with our you know as we scale video and and we and we build technology that's that's uh, not specific to just video. Looking for opportunities to open source that. And um, and benefit the wider community. Um, we we look pretty heavily to the client side as far as opportunities to open source things that like, um, especially when you when you look at the web. The web is just this natural place to have open source technology to have um, uh, UI elements that anybody can contribute to or use in their own projects. And so um, that's a line we often draw. Is is uh, on the client we we expect most of what we do there to be open source. We we've yet to do any kind of uh, open source model that is um, you know open source to yeah Matt correct me if I'm wrong here but like open source but limited in some way right so it's like open source and uh, and there's a license around it to where you can you can use it to some degree but you have to pay us for something related to open source later on or at scale we've we've never done anything like that I think um, if there's any like business model that we we rely on um, when it comes to open source is is it just the community awareness uh, you know the 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 awareness of, of Mux within our efforts around open source. And I think, um, you know, we're not, we're not tracking that super heavily with, with metrics today, but, um, I think we, we've definitely felt the, um, the, the huge benefit of just being out there in the community, building tools that everybody can use and, um, and getting our na- name out there at the same time. Yeah. And, and just to echo that, I think, you know, this comes full circle to what we were talking about at the beginning, like videos, video is difficult. We think that we have a really, great abstraction layer and a good developer experience around working with video. Um, and so the more we can put open source projects that are out there to help people use video, uh, great. And if they see us and eventually you're just like, Oh, actually, you know, like I'm running this infrastructure myself and these folks look great. Like, and they want to start using us later. Like awesome. But projects still need to be authentically good. Our service needs to be authentically good. Um, and, and we think that long term. Uh, those two things will help each other grow. Um, and that's great. Well, thank you, both of you. Do you have anything you'd like to add in closing? The Demux CFP is open now um, until like mid oh, yeah. So you have another month to submit a talk. So 2021.demux.com and tickets should go on sale end of like this month. But it's October, the week of October 5th. So I think it's October 5th, 6th, that up. Thank you for listening to this episode of Innovate at Open. For future episodes, subscribe to Innovate at Open on your favorite podcast app. You could also go bitmason, B-I-T-M-A-S-O-N, dot blogspot.com for show notes, blogs, and a full archive of episodes and more. Thank you for listening. This is Gordon Half, Technology Evangelist at Red Hat. 